This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. I didn't see you there. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the podcast of the show, Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, as always, Dr. Shane Told. No, I'm not a doctor. Uh, Mr. Shane Told, I guess is appropriate. Uh, Yes, I have no title. I'm just, just call me Shane. I am here with another fantastic episode I think one of the best we've had in a while, to be honest. Uh, Very excited for this episode with the front woman of Sharp Tooth, Lauren Cashin. Cashin, Cashan, I'm not sure how to say it. Lauren from Sharp Tooth is on the program today. A great episode. Very entertaining. Just sit back and listen. There's a lot here to digest, to take in, and that's the way we like it around these parts. Well, thank you for being here with me. This is lovely. We have a beautiful day outside, wherever you are, I think. It's that time of year that it, I don't think it matters where you are. The hot places aren't too hot yet. The cold places aren't cold anymore. Spring. Spring is springing. Even if you're in Australia where it's like fall now, uh, which always threw me off. I don't know. Your water going down the, the drain the wrong way just freaks me out every time I see it. Um, I know it doesn't happen. But seriously, it's just a beautiful time on the planet. I love the positivity, and everything is going so well in my life, thanks for asking. In fact, this Friday, my band Silverstein is releasing an interesting record, not a new record, but new recordings of some classic songs that we did the first 10 years of our career. It's called Redux, the first 10 years, yes, very aptly named. So yeah, check it out on Friday. It'll be up on all the streaming services. And I know some people listen to this are fans of the band. Some people aren't. They don't care. Indifference. It's all good. But hey, maybe give us a second chance. Because some of those old recordings were 
Well, you're talking about 15 years ago, no money, uh, we didn't really know what we were doing, but there's something in those songs. So go back, we re-recorded them, not a remaster, not a remix, this is, we literally went back in the studio, I re-sang all of these songs, and some of them came out pretty cool. So check it out on Friday, it's called Redux, it will be on all the streaming services, and if you go on to, I think it's silversteinstore.com, we have CDs and vinyl up as well, um, they were sold out before, but they're back, so check that out, and uh, yeah, things are great, I'm, I'm doing a lot of songwriting these days for my projects, I'm excited, and uh, I don't know, there's something about the weather that just makes me feel inspired, so all good things. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm just a, a an email away. I'm a I'm a I'm a like away. I, I'm a I'm a at reply away. Feel free to hit me up, lead singer syndrome at gmail.com. It's at Shane Told on all the social medias, at Lead Singer Syndrome, at Lead Singer Sin S Y N on Twitter. Yeah, hit me up. Let me know what you think. If you got suggestions for the show, that's kind of how Lauren got on the show, I think. There was a lot of people that really wanted her on. And uh, yeah, I hit her up through my friend Josh. And it's just a beautiful thing that she is here. And it really is a great episode. What? Sorry, I'm recording this as I'm watching Seinfeld in the background on mute. And how did George Costanza get women? Seriously, this piece of shit. Sorry, I digress. Congratulations to Brandon Drescher, who won the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club March Madness Extravaganza. He picked Virginia to win it all, and they did. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Nobody had Texas Tech in the final, that's for sure, but they played their hearts out. And I got to say, this year, I think, was my favorite college tournament that I think I've seen. I mean, I think I watched more games than I have in like the like 10 years. So I had a lot of fun and thanks to all the sinners that played alongside me. I was in the lead for a while. I finished in like 12th place, which is not a great showing, but you know, when Duke gets knocked out and they're your champion, you know, it happens. If you want to know more about this kind of stuff that we do in the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club, check it out. LeadSingerSyndrome.com slash all access. You can be a part of this group and get bonus episodes and get stuff sent to your house. And it only costs as little as $6 a month to join. So again, check it out. LeadSingerSyndrome.com slash all access. Well, I think it's time. Let's get into it. It's a great one. Sit back and listen to my conversation with Lauren of Sharp Tooth. Here with Lauren of Sharp Tooth. Uh, this is fantastic. Thank you for having me, allowing me to have you. And uh, yes, whichever way it goes. <laughs> so and I was just saying to you before the phone got disconnected and, and all messed up. I never do these things in the evening, so this is a nice way to set the tone. I feel. Oh, I'm glad. I feel honored. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what's new with you right now? I know you're off tour. You're working some kind of day job. Uh, what goes on kind of day to day with you right now? Well, right now I'm not so much working as a recording. 
we're in the studio right oh, now. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. We've been tracking vocals this week and last week. So I've been in it. You've been in it. Yes, yeah. I've been in it. Absolutely. Well, that was that was in my list of questions is asking you about a new record <laughs> because Clever Girl came out, what, it's been like a year and a half now? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be like two years this fall. Um, okay. It came out October 2017, which feels insane. Uh, yeah. Well, what's happened? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you say you're in it, I mean, I mean, you are you are a person that when you are making music, performing it, writing it, mm-hmm. recording it, you're not holding back with what you're feeling. No. Uh, you're not. Yeah, you're you're not, you know, watering down anything that you're you're thinking, let alone or saying, let alone thinking. So is it a lot for you just emotionally to go through the process of writing and recording an album? <sighs> <laughs> that's that sums it up okay it's, you know it, yeah well like I'm I'm a lot emotionally period like I I describe the way that I feel and experience life as just kind of like turned up to like 11 all the time the great is fucking incredible and the bad is unbelievably terrible and mm-hmm. so that 100% translates into my music. And it's so funny because like, I've been working on these songs um, for the past couple of months and I've had like, just been kind of like steadily getting like getting work done on them. And I was talking to my boyfriend about like, kind of like the timeline for recording the album. And I was like, Oh yeah, I have like this many songs to finish. He's like, you like said that, like, it's like a laundry list item. Right. But, like, but like, <laughs> but it's me. So it was funny because like, so last week I was working on a song and uh, fast forward and it's like 2 a.m. and I'm in my car in a parking lot at like a state park. Like, and I've been crying in my car for three hours. And I was like, I don't know how, why I thought that I could ever write a record without that, you know? He's like, yeah, I don't know why you thought that either, but I well, don't want to say anything. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't and you shouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be you if it wasn't that. Um, but, but that's yeah, a good. Never, that's a great point is, you bring up, though. Like there really <laughs> is so much of what you know we do as like in the music industry as people that are essentially like we're getting paid or uh, 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 enabling people are enabling us to you know do this and do yeah. this for some monetary reward. Mm-hmm. You know, or not really, but whatever. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> Quote unquote, right. Lord, right? <laughs> at least when we don't have to go get jobs at Home Depot or whatever, I guess, right at the moment, you know, or, or for months at a time, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and um, but at the same time, there's this duality between, OK, just go do it. Do these shows. Oh, here's 30 shows in a row. Go do it. Or here's 12 songs on a record. Go record them. And then yeah. the actual like meaning and emotion and feeling behind it, which is the whole point of it. But yet you're supposed to just be kind of like, like uh, it's a job. Yeah. Like just, I, I don't know, the minimized into just doing it. Mm-hmm. How, how is and, that ever uh, easy? <laughs> exactly. It's so funny because like, and I'm an extremely pragmatic person with any, like pretty much anything in my life. I'm very much like, okay, you make a list or you make a spreadsheet and you oh, yeah. like go through yeah. it and you get shit done. Yeah. Um, but 
it's like how somehow like when it comes and like so like in a lot of aspects i'll treat being in a band with a lot of the same like pragmatism except i forget that like yeah this is the most like emotionally intense grueling gut-wrenching thing that people can do is create like art that that like comes from your fucking soul right (laughs) and i think that that's why so many bands are bad at the business side of it too Mm. You know, because a lot of a lot of bands and a lot of singers and stuff just they need a hands off approach from all the the things that you have to do, like the checklists So like, OK, we got to go reserve a bus or like you guys are going to Europe pretty soon, yeah. like getting a back line and those things that like are, are absolutely have nothing to do with with cr- uh, being creative uh, mm-hmm. musically, you know, but they have to get done. And those things are the a lot of times the things that fall by the wayside. Unless you have that pragmatic, you know, uh, approach. Yeah. It's funny because before we got signed, when we were just doing DIY touring, Mm -hmm. um, I was the person who pretty much like did all of our, all of our like booking and shit. So I would book our tours and all of that and essentially tour manage for us. Um, now that we're, you know, playing shows on the level that we are now, I cannot do that mentally or emotionally right. because there's a huge difference between being able to shoulder the weight of TMing for and TMing a tour that's like two weeks and like that I booked myself and it's whatever and being able to handle that emotionally at the same time and then like doing something like playing warp tour yeah and trying to handle that emotionally yeah or like a full US and it's right. just like I I am such an emotionally intense person that at this level, I can't like TM and stuff. But like the good news is, is that like our guitarist does like a ton of that now and he's amazing at it and so, we have actual help now. <laughs> there, well, there you go. So going through this process now of writing versus what you went through whenever it was two or three years ago before, you know, you'd, you'd done warp tour and you'd done all the full U S tours and Europe and all that mm-hmm. before that, that had been a thing. What's the differences now when you're approaching this, um, just for you, like are obviously you've had a lot of experiences over the last two years that you're writing about and the world's mm-hmm. gotten pretty fucked up. Uh, but, but yeah. is the, is the approach that you just take differently? Uh, or is it still kind of like you get back in the studio and it's the same way you've kind of approached it before? Well, it was interesting because when we recorded Clever Girl, most of the songs were written long before we ever booked time in the studio because they were the songs we'd been playing just like as a band for the year and a half before we went into the studio. Um, So we already like had all these songs that were like done and that we'd been playing out for a year and a half. Right. Um, There were like maybe like two or three that we kind of had to write that like I at least wrote like Mm -hmm on the come up to like approaching the studio. And there was like one song, actually no sanctuary that I wrote part of like in the vocal booth, but it was a totally different experience. This was like way harder, right? Oh my God. So much harder. So much more pressure. Cause like we didn't have, nothing was riding on clever girl. It was just me and my friends wanted to take the songs we'd been playing, put them together and give them to the world. There was, there was no record label. There was nothing. I sent that record to maybe 30 labels and didn't hear back. And we said, fuck it. We'll just put it out ourselves. Cause who cares? Like, yeah, we were like, Oh, it would have been cool if we had like a label, like pay for some of it. Like, <laughs> right. But like we did had no ambitions like really of that. That was like very wishful thinking and like, Oh, that would be, that'd be really neat. 
but now it's like, you know, it's especially it's like a sophomore album. Sure. So there's a lot of pressure on that. Sure. Yeah. And well, you're admitting it. I yeah. mean, some bands don't admit yeah. it. Some bands I talk to say, oh, no, 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 you know, whatever. And then it's like and then I remind them that no band has ever made a bad second album and survived. Uh, so, you know, right. I, <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, shit, you're kind of right. Um, but <laughs> but does the pressure so a lot of pressure come from your fans now because you know you're so outspoken mm-hmm. on stage in interviews you you make a point to go talk to your fans after the show and mm-hmm. obviously you're getting a lot of feedback from probably from a lot of a lot of w- female fans but also mm-hmm. from just your all your fans yeah that what you're saying holds a lot of importance and holds a lot of weight so now you're you're sitting on your couch or you're in the studio or you're doing whatever you you do to write those Mm -hmm. people must come into your mind yeah it's it definitely plays a role in it and before I knew the shape and the theme that this record was going to take I had a lot of insecurity about like that like kind of like meeting people's expectations um it's a very it's an extremely different record from clever girl okay but i think that one of the like one of the things that i think people can always expect from us like so this record to like i think clever girl was had songs that had incredibly intensely personal elements but i think that this overall record that i'm writing right now is the most personal i've ever written ever so but it's always important for me to be able to articulate these personal experiences in a way that will be the, in a way that's universal. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. so that people aren't just like essentially reading a diary entry of mine because who gives a shit? Um, I wanted this to tie into, you know, things that like, I think a lot of other, like a lot of people go through and experiences yeah. that a lot of other people have had. So, you know, I might be wor- writing about, and like a particular experience I had with a shitty fucking person, but I want to talk about the parts of that experience that are universal, especially like in regards to something that I've talked about in a lot of my songs, like things that are universal in a lot of ways to the feminine experience. Um, right. So, yeah. So it's a, it definitely, that is something that I always come back to is trying to figure out how to, articulate things in a way where they will have a feel that is at least universally digestible and understandable for sure people for sure absolutely so i want to go back if you don't mind and talk about you know your upbringing how you kind of got into you know this whole thing um if you don't mind i know you're from from baltimore area (laughs) yes and you kind of grew up going to hardcore shows and moshing and all that but yeah. what was it like for you what was it like for you in the early years like um what was your family structure kind of like do you have brothers and sisters uh how was music in the household what were you like in school i, I just think those those things are always kind of interesting and don't always get yeah. talked about so i'm adopted so that was like i guess the first thing and i consider that to be a thing of a primary like a very significant thing mm-hmm. um sure. because oh lord do i have <laughs> abandonment issues um well, uh, and well, a lot of them can stem from that <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah yes <laughs> um did you were you very young when you found out did you always know or i've 
always known. I don't know when I was told. Mm -hmm. I think that that was, I, I don't know if my parents like every day came into my room were like, put you to bed. Good night. Oh, by the way, you're adopted like every night until like I was cognizant of it. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. How, how else would you do that? I mean, I, like, I don't know if that's the best way or the worst way. I don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Um, I have always known and, uh, it was never considered like a big deal. Um, so I never really, I never thought about it as being a big deal until I got a lot older and like, went into therapy and my, my therapists were like, uh, this is actually a big deal, even if you don't want to believe it is. And I was like, right. oh shit, okay. Right. Um, so yeah, my childhood, I was always like, ah, oh, when I was, a, I have like a younger brother, he's three years younger than me. And, uh, is he, he's not adopted too? No, he's not. Okay. Um, okay. my, my parents didn't think they could have kids, right. so they adopted right. me and then surprise David came along. And what's actually kind of funny is we all look alike. Like in, if you look at a picture of me and my family, there's, I look very much related to them. Like my dad and my brother both have lighter eyes and freckles and auburn hair. Um, well, okay. yeah, it's like, we have similar facial features. It's very, very weird. Um, but kind of cool. People have asked if my brother and I are, are like fraternal twins. Wow. That's happened before. Wow. Um, cause we're like so similarly complected. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I had a, I had a pretty good childhood. I yeah. was a weird tomboy, loved books, loved reading, loved science fiction, loved dinosaurs, never grew <laughs> out of that. <laughs> but I was a, I was a huge tomboy. I, uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this before. And when I was in like elementary school, I, uh, was pretty committed to the name Jake for a while. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. would get like kind of hostile if people called me Lauren. And um, I know that there obviously are kids out there who are who are trans and yeah. who like very much know that when they are like kids. I don't think that that was that was not necessarily that experience for me. I think that that experience for me was rooted in the fact that all of the characters that I liked in my favorite like in my favorite books and like you know, video games and stuff. They were all boys. They mm -hmm. all got to do like the cool shit. So Jake, <laughs> here's a, here's a throwback. Does anyone remember Animorphs? Um, so Jake was like the main character of my favorite book series, Animorphs. And like, so oh, okay. I just like, I'm not really familiar with it. I'm sure a lot of people listening oh. are, but I am not familiar. No. Did you live in the nineties? Oh my God. Uh, well, yeah, kinda. Yeah. Kinda. I did. But I, I, so they're the books with the covers of like the kids turning into an animal. Okay. I'm sure you've seen like memes of it at the very least. Oh, um, maybe I have, you know what? I'm, I don't know. Maybe we didn't have it in Canada. That's oh, just, no. that's just what I'm, <laughs> that's just my excuse for when I don't know anything. I'm like, we didn't You're get like, that. Yeah. We just Canada. didn't get that. <laughs> well, that was my like favorite series as a kid. It's still, it is still one of my favorite series to this day. It holds up very well. Holy shit. Um, hang on a second. I just looked it up. It is from yes! Canada. It's is from it? Canada. No. Yes. It was made for YTV. That was a Canadian station for season one and global for season two. Another Canadian thing. There you go. Yeah, broadcast so from ninety eight to two thousand. So that's the thing. So yeah. it's a little, probably a little bit, because I'm I'm thirty eight. 
So mm-hmm. I think I would have been 17, 18. I was already playing punk mm. rock at this point. So Oh, okay. So yeah, it was like <laughs> it was like a big thing. So okay, like the books okay. came out in like ninety-five. And like so I was like seven, eight years old. They're way too mature and graphic for kids that age to be reading, but here I was. And uh yeah, so like there were these kids who could turn into animals to fight aliens, which was the coolest thing ever. That's combined tight. all of my favorite things and uh so like the the main character was this kid named Jake who was like this like natural leader and like he just had so many like qualities that I identified with and it you didn't really see like a lot of strong female characters in in like film and TV and especially in science fiction like no, that it was not heard not. of at I mean... all until I think the first time I saw like a like a quote unquote strong female character in science fiction or fantasy was when I was a little bit older and started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh right, of um, course, of course, yeah. And then I was like, "Yo, she's a boss ass bitch. I fuck with this." Um, but before that, I didn't have anything. So when my friends and I would want to play like pretending games and like would want to be characters from like movies and books, I would always want to be right. characters that were boys because they were the ones doing the cool stuff and. Yeah, it's just I don't know that it that says anything about like my gender identity, but like mm-hmm. it definitely says a lot about the til- like the film and TV industry and the sexism that's been there for decades sure. and decades. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, there's no question. So okay, so you're um so you're going through this kind of this kind of thing. Want to be want to be want to be Jake and all this. Um, so so when did it when did music become you know something that was important? Music became important. Music was like always important. Like when I was a kid, I would always get really into the soundtracks of movies. Um, like, and like, I actually like my first like forays into music. I was really into like hip hop when I was a kid. Um, I really loved like Puff Daddy and the Family and Biggie when I was like okay. 11, which I don't know why I was allowed to listen to any of that when I was 11, but <laughs> um, I started getting into like songs with guitars. Actually, you know what? I remember the first time I heard like a like punk rock song and went, oh my God, this is cool, was my friend Philip gave me a cassette tape, a mixtape that he made, and it had Right Now by SR71 on it. <laughs> I guess that's punk rock. <laughs> it, I mean, I yeah, at the time, that was that was like punk. That was the most punk rock thing I'd ever heard. Sure, and I was sure, and I was just like, "This is so cool." And so, I'm like, I don't know that I really went anywhere with that. Like, I was very much into like musical theater, um, and like did a lot of that and did singing lessons when I was like a kid. Okay. But then once, once I got into high school, I kind of rediscovered SR 71 and then much heavier and much more actually like punk rock. Right. SR 70. That's a band name. I haven't heard in years. They were my favorite band in high school. Wow. And I felt that. So like they were no one else's favorite band in high school, (laughs) but they were mine. And I felt special and different (laughs) because of it. Yeah. But then I love, I mean, I love like, you know, all the like early 2000s, like post-punk bands that like right. everybody listened to. Like I loved like Taking Back Sunday and Fall Out Boy and like we were listening to Silverstein at the time. Oh, well, there you and, go. Yeah. Well, SR, is, um, SR, aren't they from, are they from Baltimore? SR71? They are. 
they are which well, is there cool. you go okay then they, so yeah. <laughs> so i mean is that something i guess that's had happens like bands you know regional bands can can be really big in the town they're from especially a town like that i think baltimore kind of takes care of their own um yeah. you know another another band i think mm-hmm. of when i think of like really big and lo- like a local band that's that's done a lot is like story of the year mm, like they're huge yes. in st louis like they play oh my God. they sell out like 2500 cap room in one day in st louis like every time they play it you know so i i I guess that's probably the reason but that's a band yeah i remember them being around for a while it wondered to the rest of the world right right we're special here that was my first ever like concert like real like like actual like rock concert was an SR 71 show. I was 14 years old and my friend Andy's mom dropped us off in her minivan and we went to the concert and was when you could still smoke in venues. And Ugh, so worst. It smelled, I was wearing like a <laughs> jean jacket and a lot of black and it felt very cool. And I came home smelling like cigarettes and I was like, that was so cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like little 13, 14 year old girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, uh, the, I can't do the smoking and, and I'm old oh. enough. I'm old enough to, you know, being like, I was still in a, in a band we were on tour, like when you could still smoke in a lot of venues. And I think my favorite thing that ever happened was most at this point, most of the U S venues, the smoking was, was gone. But in Europe, uh, in Germany, there was still a lot of smoking going on. Mm. There isn't any more, but, but at the time there was, and I remember the first show we were playing this like shitty little, you know, venue so small and packed and everyone's smoking. And I was like dead the next day from the smoke. So I, so I said, it's terrible. So I said to the, Mm. you know, the, the tour guy, the the promoter, whatever, who's doing these, this run of shows for us. I was like, Hey, is there any way we can have the venue be like not smoking tomorrow? So he's like, (laughs) uh, well, you know, people are like pretty used to it. So like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. So didn't say a word about it. I was just going to kind of, you know, suck it up. Uh, literally, mm-hmm. literally. And, uh, oh. so I, so he, what he did was he put signs on the, on the wall all over the venue. And I didn't really know he was doing this cause he did it like right oh. before doors. So the signs were in German, but they said, uh, no smoking tonight as the singer for Silverstein <gasps> is allergic or something like that. So all of a sudden <laughs> I look like, bus. Oh, totally. So I look like a total, you know, like diva, diva oh, sure. No. And I didn't know this. And so I'm like looking around and our guitar player said that he saw a guy rip the sign off the wall, light it on fire and then use it to light a cigarette with. Oh my God. So yeah. So, um, if that ain't dramatic, <laughs> so, sorry for the, uh, the tangent off topic, wow. but yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, That's yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, fuck, I fuck smoking, but I can't do it. So I actually, this is kind of funny. I smoked for 12 years, uh, pack a day, Marlboro oh, okay. Reds. I was, I was very, very committed. I loved smoking and I quit before the first ever, like, re, like actual shark tooth tour, because I was like, I'm not going to be able to do these songs. Oh, good for you. Like, and I quit. It was like September of like 2015. And I, that's been that I, and haven't smoked since and I, oh, good for you like so 
Good for you. So Only anyway, so sharp tooth is why. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's I mean it's good for your health. You know, I mean yeah. not just your not just your voice, but your health in general. Uh, so SR seventy one is your favorite band in high school. <laughs> you're wearing a jean jacket. You're pretty cool. Smoking yes. some smoking some cigs. Right. And uh, <laughs> when did you get more into you know the kind of hardcore and the scene that that sharp tooth is a part of now? So I started, so in about like halfway through high school was when I started listening to uh, like heavier bands, like metalcore bands of that era, like uh, like Atreyu, um, old like Avenged Sevenfold from First to Last was on there. A lot of He's Legend. Oh yeah. Um, Great new record I, coming out. Oh I heard my it. God. I heard a sneak preview. Yeah? I heard a sneak preview. It's a good record. I mean, I heard the, the new song that they released and that was tight. That's <laughs> so. like probably their best record. Anyway, go on. I so yeah like I was very much into that kind of stuff like some every time I die thrown in there and uh I didn't get so much into like the like the hardcore hardcore scene at that time because it was so prohibitive <laughs> I remember having friends in that scene and like I would talk to them about like they were like oh like we're gonna go see like diamond youth and i'm like oh that's like that sounds so like can i come and they were like yeah no clit in the pit like straight up that was a thing that yeah that my friends said to me that's how much of an accepted like part of that culture and like that's how accepted like sexism was like just period because like i mean hardcore has hardcore has yeah go ahead sorry yeah i was gonna say i mean hardcore has a not so great history of misogynistic lyrics attitudes a lot of horrible behind the scenes shit going on like i'm not going to call out specific bands but it's been running rampant for literally decades of course and it was just like the the shock the most shocking thing about it like to me now is that you know at the time that like my friends saying like laughing and saying yeah no clit in the pit like it hurt my feelings and made me sad, but I was like, shit, I mean, you're right. Like, okay. Like I like, because that's, that was the way it was. And it was like the same as like, you know, same time, you know, I was when I first started teaching myself like how to scream and uh, my friends had like a, they had like a weird experimental kind of hardcore band and they were auditioning vocalists. And I was like, Hey, can I audition? They're like, yeah, we don't want a girl in the band. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I, I get it. And like, just the fact that... Had you heard Walls of Jericho at this point? No. Okay. Mm-mm. Like, really, the only girls that I'd heard in like any kind of like music like ours were like... I mean, there was a girl in Flyleaf and right. there was Evanescence. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, like Walls of Jericho are like Undying or like, you know, yeah, one of my favorite like, bands when I was in, you know, in high school, I guess. So that the problem was that like I think that we were almost too young to have heard that yet. Like that right, was like right, right, right. like older metal, and like we had basically missed that. We were on that other generation of bands coming up, where like the only woman was like Haley from Paramore or like Avril Lavigne. Um, at camp, they would call me Mini Avril, <laughs> which was hilarious, <laughs> um, because that was literally the only context that anybody had for a woman in punk music or in any kind of alternative kind of music was Haley Williams or Avril Lavigne. Right. Um, like, and no disrespect to any of them. They play great music. I'm none of those artists though. Um, that's been like, 
I think one of the more challenging things is like, I think for a lot of women is carving out an identity that is very much our own in this music because you're constantly getting compared to people that you don't sound anything like because they're the only other women, you know? Yeah. So that was a thing I like struggled with for years. They were like, yeah, we're not trying to do the Paramore thing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's not how Jeez. I sound or what I'm trying to do. But I mean, okay. And you just, you just take it. Cause that was no, I had nobody else who had like, who was like, I don't really agree with that. Like it was just me. So you just go, okay. And you move on with your well, life. <laughs> when you decided not to say okay anymore and you know, and you started, you know, saying, well, fuck this. I'm do- I'm going to start, you know, start a band, whatever. And was that anger that you have still in your music and, and it being so driven towards that because of that unacceptance that you, that you faced? Um, was there like a media backlash, you know, like that you had? Uh, well, I have. So like all of the bands that I've ever, so like the, the first band that I was ever in, I didn't join until I was out of college or like in college. Uh, so I was out of high school. Right. Um, right. Didn't matter how much I wanted to play a band in high school. That just wasn't going to happen. Um, but I got asked to join a band who were like mutual friends, but it was like, it wasn't in that scene. So the band was like kind of like a progressive ska type of band. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. it was cool. It was experimental. It was weird. Um, I have singing background in pretty much any genre. <laughs> From opera to musical theater to ska and metalcore. So um, I can sing in a lot of different styles. So I did that uh, for a couple of years. And it was really, it was a really fun band. It was called At the Zoo. And uh, <laughs> it was like the Mars Volta with trumpets. Cool. And it was tight. Yeah, it was great. I, I still think that band is sick. But they invited me to join. They were like, we're looking for a singer. Uh, we know you that you went to Carver, which was the art school I went to in high school. Uh, we've heard you have a really good voice. Do you want to try singing for this band? I was like, hell, finally, <laughs> finally, get to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did that. And then, you know, this whole time, so I'm like in that music scene, the more like, it's almost like more of like a hippie kind of scene, but I'm going to on my own, like metalcore shows. Right. Um, at that point, I'd been exposed to every time I die and like kind of went head first into like the Baltimore mosh scene. And like that was kind of my thing that I just struck out on my own. And I would go to every fucking show in Baltimore. I'd usually I'd go to like two or three shows a week. I didn't care if I knew the bands. I didn't care if I knew nobody there. I just I was just so stoked because I'm like, I get to mosh. Like, that's all I care about. Like, I get stage dive, it's a mosh, like I get to find new music. This is the greatest thing in the world. Um, which I think for a lot of other people is something that they start doing a lot earlier. Like I right. feel like a lot of people get that like mosh fever when they're like 14, 15. I didn't get that until like I was like 20 because people didn't really want girls at their shows when I was 14 and 15. Um, yeah. No Clint in the pit, you know? So, so yeah, geez, that's such a, that's just such a terrible. Like I've never it's a heard ter- it. It's, it's such just, an aggressive, uh, fucked up phrase. Yeah, like I, every I feel so uncomfortable. You've said it three times or four times, I, and yeah, every time, I, like it, I just gets a little worse. You good. know, um, you know that's reparations <laughs> for all the times I had to hear it and geez. feel bad. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So, well, You're doing well, the Lord's work right so now. What, okay, well, I just want you to know. So you you know you you obviously there was this I don't know this I don't know this 
I don't know the word for it. Sorry, I'm, I'm having trouble with my words finding it. But you know, you ha- you say you come from like a pretty you know normal family and everything, and now you're at the age 20 or whatever, and you just want to go f- three or four times a week or whatever you said to mosh to get out mm-hmm. some kind of aggression, some kind of rage. Oh, like what was I- going on that you needed to to get out of your your system? Um. So I uh. So like in the intermittent years uh because we kind of did a little bit of a jump there yeah i so when i was in high school um i dealt with uh several instances of uh, sexual assault um when i was a teenager and my coping mechanisms for that weren't so great mm-hmm. and uh definitely had like pretty intense drinking problem that i used to self-medicate and to that I didn't have to think about how much, how worthless I felt anymore. Right. And, uh, by, you know, by the time I graduated from high school, which like, I can't believe I graduated, uh, I'd been kicked out of high school. Um, they took me back, but like I'd been expelled and I'd been in like several treatment programs. Um, and like none of it was really, (laughs) the problem was that like, the way that our society treats uh, drug and alcohol abuse is very often that the problem is the drug and alcohol abuse as opposed to right. what is the drugs and alcohol being used for. Right. Um, yeah. So these people are telling a 17-year-old girl that she has alcoholism, which is somewhat absurd. Your brain's not even finished developing. Uh, right, sure. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so one of the treatment programs that I was sent away to ended up being a legitimate actual cult. And it was an extremely abusive place. They, there were people, it wasn't like, a like, and I'd been to treatment centers. So I knew like what, you know, I knew what the deal was with like rehab and shit. This was not like that. So you didn't live at a facility. Um, you went down to Florida and you lived in this community and you could only ever talk to people who were also in the community and there were, you worked in the community. You had no outside contact outside of the community. And there were people who'd been there for five, 10, 15, 20 years and had limited to no contact with the outside world. Um, That's just weird. It was very, very insane it was very very abusive um they would have like group therapy where they'd have rape victims in the same room talking about their rape uh with rapists in the room like like sitting staring at people who you know are there because they raped somebody and you're having to talk about weird like Uh, it was extremely fucked up um, the things that they did so to people. So how long they, were you there yeah, for? I was there for 14 months. Oh my goodness. And uh, it was, it, I'm still undoing a bunch of shit. <laughs> Thank God for good therapists. Um, isn't that, isn't that just awful? You know, it, that you're, that you, that that can, that that can happen. That therapy can make it worse, you know? Yeah. <sighs> and it's like, God. it's so fucked. I have a very good friend um, yeah. who was one of the other people who was there with me and like it's it's wonderful having her as a friend because she's like the one person I can talk to who about that experience who I know 
understands like all of it and like the depth to which that fucks you up because you go there and you're at the most vulnerable position of your life and you are just like I will do anything to to feel better Mm -hmm. and then these people tell you that this is the only way you're going to feel better and you have like what are you supposed to do who are you like who are you supposed to believe I wasn't allowed to talk to my family for months. I was, I had no contact with my friends. I had friends who wrote me letters for that entire time and they, they never gave any of the letters to me. And oh my God. So, so you feel like you have been abandoned by the entire world. And so then, and they're like, we're the only thing, the only people who care about you. So you, what are you supposed to do? You, you know, it's, <laughs> it's very hard to not get, brainwashed when you're at that low point and when you have a hundred people telling you that this is the only way for you to survive. Wow. Um, Wow. Okay. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're, you're describing kind of where you're at. So, um, I get it. Um, I don't really know what to jump to next, but you know, I guess with the band, I know you, Go well, ahead, I know go that ahead. you'd asked. I was going to say, I know you'd asked about like where that anger came. Yeah. From. Oh, right. That's and that's you, that's right. And it's like, you know, when I got out, I I I pretty much stopped taking my medication, threatened to run away a bunch of times, and then threatened to run away and bring new people. If you would run away from there, they'd call the cops and say you were a suicide risk because you'd get thrown in the psych ward. Um, which may, so like which you, may have been better actually, but it may, it may have been better, but like also <laughs> yeah. worse. Cause then you have even less control over anything in your life. That's true. Um, yeah. That's like, true. So it just is like, do I want to be thrown in a, in a fucking room or have any leverage? So I basically, wow. I threatened to run away with new people and they did, I guess they didn't want to throw like eight of us into the psych ward at once. Um, so they, that day they called my parents got me a flight and like literally dropped me off on the curb at the Orlando airport. Um, and My then goodness. suddenly I was home and terrified of like anything I said or do would it result in me going back. So you're just trying to get by and put as much mental distance between you and that experience as possible. But like you can't reconcile the anger and the hurt and the pain that like you just endured. Right. And I, the only place where I found release for that was, was moshing at shows and just screaming my fucking head off. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's, I mean, hardcore punk rock is like, I mean, a lot of people say it's therapy. The scene is, you know, mm-hmm. can be, can be so positive and so good for so many people. I don't know where I would be without it. Um, obviously everyone has their own experiences and everyone takes what they need from it, but it is something that, you know, it's, I'm a lifer, you know, I'm a lifer because, because of it. Um, it became my, I, if you would ask me like at that time, I would tell you that it was my religion. Like that's how tight I grabbed onto that because it was the only thing that ever made me feel okay after that. And it was like the only way that like, I found like, my sense of identity and self and like the the power to be able to heal and start feeling like I had a voice again. Um, so yeah, I literally had like a, it was like a religious thing for me. Um, so when you were, when you were going through going to the shows and, and having this, you know, I guess like, you know, you were a fan mostly right of the, of this, you were, you know, you yeah. hadn't start you hadn't started the band yet. Did you have oh, aspir- yeah. do you have aspirations to start this? Was it your kind of your dream to do what you're doing now? Um, 
like never as like a career. It was always so like I like at that time, you know, I'm in college, I'm getting a degree uh, in zoology and I'm like, that's my life path is I'm going to be a zoologist. I'm going to work with reptiles. I'm going to work in zoos. It's going to be great. Um, but like I always like, you know, I would immediately leave class and go and, <laughs> and go and walk on heads like, right, at, right. you know, at the show, like. <laughs> 15 minutes down the road and yeah. I had a lot of friends that I made in that scene and we you know we talked about you know starting a band together and uh me and my one friend Austin we we finally got around to starting a band together that was like kind of like a like a pop punk hardcore crossover band called Highest Honor and we did that for a while and uh that was great really fun uh we specialized in uh like emo song covers. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> In nice. addition to our originals. But we were like, <laughs> I Does, like to, do any recordings exist of this? Of highest honor uh, or of our covers? <laughs> well, either one. I mean, I was, I mean, the covers would be really great, but, uh, <laughs> uh yeah, we did it. There's a really great, uh, live version of, uh, we did it's dangerous business walking out your front door. Oh, That's like probably yeah. our most recent one. Uh, there you go. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah, it's so good. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So we like that was like we did that for a while and like made a ton of friends playing shows with Highest Honor and that like became like our baby. And then it was like December of 2014. um, I got approached by Lance, the guitarist for Sharp Tooth, and he was like, hey, um, I've got this band. And uh, we're looking for a vocalist. We'd love, we specifically would really love to have like a woman as like our front person. We'd love to get like a woman's perspective on things. And uh, awesome. I was heavily, heavily involved in like local activism at the time and uh, like regularly going to protests and like, like very much involved in like local politics. So I was like, well, so like I I kind of knew Lance like a little bit like from the local scene, but we weren't like like super close or anything. And I'm like, are you gonna tell me what I can and can't write about? And he was like, fuck no, dude, you can write about whatever the fuck you want. I'm like, can I write some real like girl power feminist type shit? Right. He was like, hell yeah. And I was like, do you care if I talk politics? And he's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. I'm like, okay, let's fucking do it. Okay, there you go. So we yeah we busted out like a whole bunch of songs in that month and immediately started playing shows. Um, and, uh, yeah, it felt great to be able to feel like I was writing music that was heavier than the stuff I had been playing and where I felt like I could really be honest. (laughs) Totally. Well, you guys started out, you know, kind of an underground band, you know, doing local Mm -hmm. shows around, you know, the East coast and whatever. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you guys get signed and, and now, You've done tours with, you know, supporting a lot of bands, uh, a lot of bands whose fans don't necessarily care about what you're saying or what you're going to tell them. Um, Is it important now for you guys to have gotten to this level now where you have a platform where you're not just preaching to the converted? You know what I mean? You're not going to be in a place where, where like it's, it's the thing like and I don't want to offend anybody, so I'll preference it, but it's like when you go to a Christian show and some band goes, says, says something like blah, 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 Jesus Christ, and then the whole room starts clapping, 
because sure. everybody there is like you know is, 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 a, there for is Jesus. a Christian. Yeah. And that's, so that's the you know, and on a on a lesser level, it's the same thing. Like when you go to like an anti flag show, and you know, and they're like shit talking Donald Trump, and everybody there like is at an anti flag show, so they know. Like everyone there is clapping too, right? But mm-hmm. for you, I feel very fortunate that that was our first full U.S. Right? I mean, the best guys ever, just ever. Perfect um, human beings. I know. I just <laughs> yes. Oh my god. I think we were trying to. We were doing a. We did a t- co-headliner with them out in in Europe, like last year, and we were trying to get you guys on the bill. I remember. Why? Why'd you forget? No, I'm kidding. no, we, we, no, we were. It was. Uh, we were on board. I, I feel what like you guys. Were we? I feel like you couldn't do it or something. You, you had something else going on. But that's um, dumb. Yeah, we were. We were. I was. I was hoping that was going to work out. But Aww. that's the way this shit works, you know. But it but totally is. But, but back to my my long winded point and question here. You don't have that ever. Like you, you know, you don't ever go into an environment where. It's about a bunch of women that are just like like you um, mm-hmm. that are going to clap at everything you say. Like it's going to get uncomfortable the way Ooh, that you are, yeah. <laughs> uh, how honest you are and stuff on stage. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's important for you to get in front of those people that might be like, hey, wait a second. Maybe I'm a little uncomfortable, but maybe there's a reason I'm uncomfortable. We, I've had so many experiences, very positive ones, with people who've come up to me and said, you said a lot of shit that made me extremely uncomfortable, but thank you. Right. And like, like it's, it's fucking important. You know, if we as a society don't start, you know, rolling up our sleeves and having Mm -hmm. those uncomfortable conversations, shit will not change, you know? And it's like, it's funny because it's like, you know, you're talking about like anti-flag about how like everyone at anti-flag show is like, you know, here for the anti-flag message. But, you know, when they first started touring, that was not the case at all. Like, there's a lot of, like, the bands at the forefront of, like, these genres. Like, think about bands like like Fugazi and Minor Threat. They would, like, go play shows and talk about shit, and people would be fucking livid with yeah. the stuff that they were saying. I was actually, this yeah. is a great, great story from today actually uh so we're recording with brian mcturnan and he was telling oh my god are you i didn't know you were i love i love mcturnan oh my god i tell him i said hi he's perfect i adore him and i absolutely will he was telling me about when he was like a kid going to like see uh, like like watching ian mckay on stage talking about like with a pro gay message and like just being profoundly shocked because he'd never heard anybody on stage like backing gay people. Right. Because th- like in the mid early nineties, that was not a thing, not a thing. Like people still like people would use like, use like the, the F slur, like in such a pejorative way. Like, I mean, people still do that, but mm. like that was very accepted then. Sure. And like calling people gay as a slur was very accepted. Sure. Like, so you know, I don't see, it's funny because I don't really see anything that my band does as being particularly unusual. I just think that people have a very short-term memory. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, a lot of these bands would spend half their time on stage talking. Yeah. And like proselytizing about the social and political issues that they were passionate about. Um, I mean, yeah, it was like, I mean, when I was in (laughs) high school, that was a thing too. I mean, it was... 
it was a lot of it was, I guess a lot of it was more to do with animal rights. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like Earth Crisis was was a really like important band, um, you know, in kind of in my area. I know they're not from my area, but not too far away. Syracuse, New York. And the, yeah. the scenes were kind of rubbing would rub off on us up in, sure. in Canada and those bands would come through. So, you know, veganism and all that was was really prevalent. And, and those kinds of things were and and, you know, a lot of there was a lot of anti-drug you know, stuff going on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of that straight edge movement and stuff like that. But, um, so yeah, for me, it, it isn't weird to go to a show and have somebody tell me something socially responsible, whatever it is, or, you know, me too. but, <laughs> but for a lot of people, especially when you start getting out of a place that has a local scene where all they have are like thousand cap seaters and they've only seen national acts touring, mm-hmm. um, wherever you are in the world, uh, then people sometimes are like, they've never seen that before, especially yeah. when you're, when you're opening for, I don't know, Kane Hill or as it is, or <laughs> I mean, not to lump those bands together maybe, but you know what I'm saying? But yeah. And it's funny that you bring up both of those bands because you know, what we do as a band, it's interesting because like, depending on the tour, we'll have totally different experiences. Um, I love every single person in Cane Hill and every person on that tour, but that was the heart, like the hardest tour I've ever done. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, I could see, I that. like, yeah. I like, I literally get emotional, like thinking about it. Um, I was like the most depressed that I'd ever been on a tour because being a young woman staring at a room full of like male new metal fans, right. Uh, talking about being raped every night for seven weeks is very, very hard. Um, you know, it's not, it wasn't a, you know, on warp tour, you know, you get all these, like these young people and these very progressive mindsets, like these, all these teenagers coming out and they're like, they like, they fuck with it. They're about it. They're about gay rights. They're like about like sexual, like violence awareness. Like they're here for that. Um, it was very, very hard on, the Cane Hill tour. It felt like I was getting up in front of a firing squad a lot of nights and uh, it really did a number on me mentally. Yeah. I, Fast. I can absolutely imagine that. Yeah. yeah. I, I left that tour and I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing this. And that wasn't something that I, I really admitted to people at did the time, you, but no, I, in I, hindsight, I, I can say that. <laughs> but now, okay. In hindsight now though, can you see, that you it was good work you were doing like there was some importance there like y- y- maybe you didn't reach everybody in that room but at least oh, you I'm, put that out there so those people at least know it exists because a lot of yes. times they don't even know it exists yes and i like and i will always maintain that it was important um especially like so like you mentioned as it is. So fast forward to the as it is tour where we're touring with a bunch of like, like post-punk and pop punk bands and it's all pretty boys on stage. And then <laughs> sharp tooth, the, the, the feminist metalcore band. And I, the first night of that tour, I got on stage and I looked out into the crowd and I just see a sea of women. Right. And I like, again, like I get really emotional thinking about it. I, I was terrified. I was terrified to get on stage because this was like it, you know, this was coming off of like that Kane Hill tour and just yeah. like that fear, like that had never gripped me before playing shows before. I had this terrified fear. And as soon as I got up there and I saw all of these young girls, it was just like a wave of like calm. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm not alone in this room. 
And I'm not going to be alone in the experiences that I'm about to talk about. And it was like, I immediately felt safe. And then in talking about so many of these things, like so many issues that are like specific to the feminine experience, specific to the queer experience, and just seeing the eyes of these young girls light up when they're like, first they're looking at me like, oh God, what is this scary band? And then as soon as they like, kind of like hear what I'm, when I start talking, they're like, yeah. oh my God, this is, this is for us. And I'm like, yes, bitch, this is for you. <laughs> and I had so many girls going, I'd never heard a girl in a metal band before. Right. So and I've never seen a girl talk. I've never seen a girl on a stage like that. I've never heard a girl talk about those things. Well, when you were music. there, when you were their age, you hadn't either. Exactly. And like that meant more to me than anything. Like I got off stage that night and I sat down and just sobbed. And I was just, I was like, I'm going to be okay. I'm back, baby. I'm I, back. I'm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was like, this is why I'm here. I'm here for, for these, for like, and just then the response that we got was unfucking real. I yeah. never in a million years expected that. I want to tour every tour in the U S with, with pop punk bands <laughs> from now on. <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, you you uh, you touched on Warp Tour briefly, and you know Warp Tour is now over. Except it isn't. Well, it isn't. It it isn't really over. But right. the national tour part is over. And mm-hmm. you know the last one you guys participated in it, and Warp Tour has a not so great reputation, I guess, among certain circles for. Mm. not being inclusive of females, which in some ways is very debatable. Um, And also has been called out for, you know, not being a safe space, which compared to other things is also maybe debatable. I mean, what's your take on this? Um, Obviously, there was a reason you did the tour and you you had these experiences. So I'm kind of just, I just want your take on the whole thing. Well, I like, I've had people ask me um, about that, like, oh, you know, like, people who've like committed sexual assault are like played warp tour. Why are you doing it? I'm uh-huh. like, that's that in and of itself is enough reason. Okay. Because there's always going to be terrible people, misogynist people, sexual predators, like problematic people mm-hmm. on, I think any tour. Yeah. So what am I supposed to do? Silence myself, remove myself from that conversation what good does that do to literally any of the kids going there? Yeah. That just removes the opportunity to start a conversation. And I think that that is like, I think that there's an element of cowardice to that. I think that that's taking the easy way out. Mm -hmm. That's what, so, and like this might, I don't know if people are going to think this is weird. I don't agree with like canceled culture at all. Because I think that everybody is problematic. I think that literally nobody is born woke. I think that every single human being on this planet has done something that is racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, like ableist. Everybody, period. I don't care who you are. You've done shit that has hurt or oppressed other people. So what are you supposed to do? Remove yourself from that conversation? Fuck no, you go in there and you start the conversation and you fight it right on the fucking front lines. I think it's too easy to say, oh, so-and-so's canceled, end of story. 
Right. That doesn't give people, that doesn't make anybody want to look at their own behavior. That doesn't make anybody want to change. All that does is make people think that they can point the finger at everyone else. And they forget the fucking three fingers pointing back at themselves. And (laughs) like, it's so so easy for me to get on stage. So I have a kind of related funny story. I got some clothing company sent me uh, a picture of a shirt and was like, we'd love to send you one of these. And uh, the shirt said, uh, like, rape sucks, kill all rapists. And I was like, first of all, that's fucking aggressive. I would <laughs> Very aggressive. Wow, that's a design choice you made. Um, second of all, like, one, you don't get to fucking make money off of the idea that rape sucks, fuck you. Uh, like, like you, you saying that does nothing for anybody. Second of all, walking around with a shirt that says rape on it could literally be triggering to people who are victims of sexual assault. So like maybe don't just shove that in people's faces. And third, I don't agree with kill all rapists because rapists are human beings and people who like, so it's like, I think that when you, when you boil somebody down to the crime that they did, you are, it is a, it is an exercise in, uh, it's a very easy thing to do. Be like, oh, well, fuck you. You're a rapist. What's a lot harder is having to sit and look at a person for who they are as a person and that that's a member of your society. Mm-hmm. Why are they that way? What in me is like that person? That is a much, much, much more difficult pill for much, people to swallow. Much more difficult. Yes. So, yeah, it's very easy to say, uh, you know, fuck warp Tour. They've had like they've had people there who are abusers. I want to be the person there who is, who is the antidote to that. You know, there you go. I want to be the person there who it like, cause there's always, there's always going to be kids there. You know, <laughs> if yep. all the good, if all the people fighting against abuse leave, what's left. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that's, then that's most other festivals is what I would argue. Which yeah. is which is like what you know, which was my whole take. Everyone's saying, "Oh, Warped Tour, so so terrible, such a terrible place." It's like, well, what about all these these other festivals that don't have any sort of you know punk rock ethics that are just yeah. a bunch of you know um, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know, fuck, I'll just say it, uh, you know, a bunch of bands from genres where it's way more male dominant and way mm-hmm. worse and yeah. way less socially uh, progressive, progressive in any sure. way. And mm-hmm. people think I that agree. that's a safer space. Why? Why aren't those, uh, you know, types of types of environments the ones getting called out? Exactly. I well, mean, I don't... guess it's because we expect more from Warp Tour, right? So maybe that's, Which, sure. you know, maybe that's maybe so maybe it's 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 maybe I missed that point somewhere along the way. But I think a lot of people are missing it or missed it in a big way too. Um, yeah. You know, and I know there's all those memes that have happened about people. Oh, ha 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 ha! You know, let's make fun of Warp Tour because some you know abuser was there or whatever right it's like Mm -hmm. it's like maybe let's not make this into a meme like maybe let's have a conversation about this and and then actually you know deal with it and try to make things better what what the fuck do i know though what i mean i completely agree i feel like when you are when yeah when you abandon every potential avenue to to actually start change then Mm -hmm. you just leave vacant these these spaces and you i I think i really just think that like the most overwhelming thing is that people are afraid to do the actual hard work of 
activism. And you know what isn't hard work? Abandoning shit. What is hard work is saying, okay, yeah, this is super problematic. Like, how can we make it better? Yeah. What are the things that we need to get in there and do? Well, how are, how can we make this more accessible to people? Like, that requires actual thought, and that's not a thing that a lot of people want to do, especially when it's people who they, like, there's a lot of people out there who just want to, like, jerk themselves off and consider themselves social justice warriors when they're not actually doing any of the any of the actual real challenging emotional labor at looking at your own behavior the behavior of the people around you the behavior of your scene um writing things off is about the easiest fucking thing you could do it requires no effort well, you, I won't paint you with that brush. That's for sure. Uh, nobody, I, could, nobody could call you up that. for that. <laughs> I hate that. It's like, uh, yeah. because well, you do that and it makes people like, that is the enemy of change is saying that is, is pointing the finger and saying, this is what the enemy looks like. Right. Rather than saying, how am, how have I been complicit in a lot of these oppressive systems because we all have like, and that's like so much kinder and gentler of an approach to take. And I mean, that's like, that's just been a thing I've been thinking about recently and kind of coming back to like, or my record. That's like a big theme in it is that like at the crux of it, people just so often are not willing to have empathy for one another Um, and like are willing to, you know, you slap a label on something and say it's canceled and think that the problem's solved, but it's not solved. It's not solved for the person who still doesn't understand why what they did was wrong. It's not solved for the the victims. Um, It isn't, it's not solved for anybody. It's just put under a rug. That's all any of that is, is just shoving shit under a rug. And I will never think that that's the answer. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate your honesty with that. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. So, so I, we've been talking for a while. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You got records to make and all, <laughs> all these things you're doing. Um, but I do want to ask I'm you. I'm crying to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I do want to ask you what, you know, you can tell the people um, that you have going on, you know, coming up. Obviously, this record is going to come out at some point. Do you have a date or an idea of a date? Um, we're not, we're not really sure yet. Uh, we're, I, we would love for it to be out in the fall, but like, that's, yeah, (laughs) you know how it is. Sure. I I do. But you guys, I mean, you're almost done. You must be almost done because you're hitting the road very soon. Uh, European tour Mm -hmm. with my friends and comeback kid. You're playing Rose Rock. Then you're doing some, some uh, shows with my Canadian brothers and obey the brave. I know we're hanging out with your with your Canada buddies. This uh, oh, is yeah, really tight. Yeah. I forgot. Come back. It was from Canada for some right? like, for one second. Even though like they live, you know, right down the road. Uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, yeah. So so you love Canadians, oh, obviously. Ah, uh, duh. Uh, counterparts. I mean, oh yeah. There you so go. So many of my favorites are Canadian. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so excited for this comeback kid tour. They're like longtime influences of this whole band. Yeah. Um. And it's like, seriously, like, a, like for our first Europe run, are you kidding me? Oh, like, it's your first time. It's your first time there. First time. Oh, I didn't know that. Nuts? Oh, wow. Enjoy. Cool. Well, Gros Gro- Rock is an incredible festival. So excited. So many of my favorite artists are playing Gros Rock and I'm humbled to be on a lineup with 
so with them. Like, oh my God. Like, Absolutely. Stick to your guns is playing and like trade wind and it's get the just, shot who are some of who are more Canadian friends. Um, yeah, get the shot. That's a band we we did some um, festivals with, I think, last year in Europe. They are. Uh, they, are they are a great band. Uh, yeah. And is, is it Jawbreaker playing Girls Rock this year or did I make that up? I don't know. I think Actually, I think so. Yeah, no, I think that's, they are. Oh, my God. Incredible. Hopefully, so on, many, like, hopefully on the same day. That's really awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah, awesome. so we're super excited. We're doing so we're doing Canada, Canada in May. We're doing a couple of days with Obey the Brave after yeah. that, um, and we're we're talking about maybe doing a, potentially a couple U.S. dates during the summer. We're gonna, I think, we're gonna take it easy mm-hmm. a little bit during the summer because we're about to drop a record. It's so. gonna be crazy <laughs> when you do, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So we're our sights are kind of set on fall i'm also moving so like it'll be nice to enjoy living in my new home are you moving are you moving like in the same area or are you moving like out of state no i am moving to boston oh cool in may yeah cool. okay. very excited awesome so i'll be a little closer to your neck of the woods yeah sort of yeah marginally <laughs> well that's awesome well i mean i i guess that about covers it anything yeah. else to tell the people um everyone should just be nice and okay. treat everyone with kindness. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Well, I mean, to, but on a serious note though, I mean, you are trying to constantly trying to get your fans to do more too. Are there any things you can recommend to people if they want to learn more about the band, about some of the, the causes and things that you're involved with? Yo, yes. Um, so I do periodic like live streams on my Instagram channel and recently i i've kind of put out like an initiative to help compile um resources for people because like based because of what i do there i get tons and tons of often teenagers asking me for like advice on life and mental health and like sexual assault issues and i'm like whoa i'm a singer uh, <laughs> i'm not a therapist i'm not a counselor i'm not right. a professional in any of these things so but there's clearly a need yeah. people are clearly reaching out which i think is amazing so i've been work trying to work on compiling a list of mental health resources resources for victims of sexual violence um and just anything that you could possibly be struggling with or that somebody could be struggling with i am searching for resources for so that I can compile them into a Wonderful. list and share that for people okay. so that so it's what's yeah. your Instagram handle so people it's can Cashin find that clause. it's K-A-S-H-A-N clause um, as in the as in nails not like um, San, not Santa Claus not Santa Claus okay. like got it like raptor clause uh, got it yeah go raptors so yeah if you have suggestions for that we I would absolutely love to have them to put on the list okay well, so, yeah. thank you so much, and uh, good luck with the rest of the record. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, tell me, Turner, I said hi. Yeah, thank you so much. I absolutely will. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Lauren. All right, take care. So there it is with Lauren. And I don't know how I didn't get all these dinosaur references before. Sharp Tooth, Clever Girl. It's all coming full circle now. Um, yes. I want to thank Lauren so much for doing this and wow I'm really excited to hear this new record Brian McTurnan is a legendary 
producer. He has made some incredible records, some of my favorite records. So I am really, really excited for the new Sharp Tooth, which is going to be coming out sometime soon, hopefully. And next week, I will be back with another episode. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following us on all the social media. And of course, remember, you can always hit me up on email. I read all my email. I try to get back to everyone. I I haven't been great lately. Lots going on. But I do read it all. So if you want to send me a message, feel free. LeadSingerSyndrome at gmail.com. I really like the entire Sharp Tooth album. And I had a lot of trouble picking a track Um, I think my favorite track is probably the one I played in the intro, Left 4 Dead. But I'm going to play the title track of the record. Makes sense. Why not? So here it is. Clever Girl on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next time. Clever Girl.